0: Let's keep worshiping as we get into our text for today uh, as part of this Advent series called Glory. Today we're going to be looking at glory as the light. Now, just by way of review, maybe you haven't been here during the series or whatever, so I just want to make sure all of us are kind of on the same page as we get into this. As we talked about Advent Remember that the first written records about Advent told us that it really had less to do with the birth of Christ and more to do with just the, the deity of Christ. It's just like manifestations, acknowledgements, circumstantial things that pointed to the fact that he was God in the flesh. That's how Advent started, and then it sort of evolved and got to a place where it's Four weeks, four Sundays leading up to the birth of Christ. The first two weeks were really focused more on the second advent, his coming. And then the final two weeks were really focused in on his first coming, his first advent, his incarnation. Advent, we said, is about remembering the first coming so that we will be ready For his return. So that's our heart as we're going through this uh, this season of Advent. And uh, last night was so fun for me. How many of you were here for the kids thing? Okay, so the theme of it was Behold Him. And there couldn't be any better phrase for Advent. It's like What God wants us to do is just sit and take him in. And he knows that if we do that, it changes us. It changes everything. And last night, those sweet kids did it, didn't they? So beautiful. So beautiful. Such a great invitation to gaze at him and see him for who he really is. And as I was, and I was moved, as I was listening and watching, um, it was a sweet time. I, I found myself praying for those kids, just asking the Lord to guard their hearts, to preserve them and sustain them, that they would grow up and love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they would be a faithful generation when all of us are gone. And I pray that he'll do that. But their message to us, behold him, that's the same message that John has in the beginning of his gospel. That's exactly what he's doing right here in these first five verses. He's saying, behold him, because if you do, it will change your life. You will never be the same if you see him the way John sees him. And one commentator has said that he makes these claims, these declarations in these first five verses, and then he spends the rest of the gospel explaining and illustrating and verifying those claims. And then he tells us why he does it, right? He gets to the end of the gospel in chapter 20. He says this, he he tells all these stories, talks about who Jesus was and is, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. Do you want life? I mean, do you want every bit of life that God has for you? you got to see him this way. And you got to keep seeing him that way. Taking in more and more of that. Behold him so that you might believe, and truly live. So let's look at what John claims in the power of the Holy Spirit about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, And then our text for today, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. So still just a bit of review. We saw two weeks ago that Jesus Christ, that's who John is referring to here when he speaks of him as the word, and he is suggesting by that statement that he existed with God prior to creation, that he was co-equal with God, though distinct from him in person. And again, these things are just piled together and they ought to just grab our attention because there's no one like him. Hebrews 1.3 said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Then last week, we saw in verse 3 that Jesus is God's agent in creation. Jesus formed everything in the universe by the words of the word. I think that's why John refers to him that way. Because he was the one who carried that out. So all that Jesus spoke into being was intended to reveal and display the goodness and glory of God to everything that God made. That's that opening idea. Then in verses 4 and 5, John, again inspired by the Holy Spirit, selects a part of creation, light and uses that to clarify the essence of the living word and the the tremendous benefits that there are to his presence for all of humanity. So here's what I've done in your outline. I picked four phrases out of these two verses. I mean, it breaks up very naturally. But then I've assigned a word to each phrase that might help you remember what John's doing with those two verses verses, and I hope that they will capture what we need to learn about him. If we're going to behold him and worship him and be changed by him, this is what we need to get. So first statement is very short, four words. It may be the most profound thing said about Jesus in all the Bible. In him was life. In him was life. Now, again, I mentioned that the reference to him is the reference to the word, which is the reference to Jesus, but let's just take this in. I mentioned co-eternal, co-equal with God. Trinity blows our mind. We don't understand it. We just accept it. He is the one that spoke everything into existence that exists now, and he did so with nothing more than a word God said let there be fill in the blank and it was that was it like with his little pinky nothing something out of nothing in him unlike any other being anywhere else life resides Life, by the way, is a key word in John's gospel. He uses it 36 times. That'd be a great word study just in your own devotional time. But when we think about life, I think what we tend to think about is like brain waves and a beating heart, right? Breath. That's typically how we think about it. But the word life that John uses here isn't really so much focused on that. It's actually a much more fundamental idea of just sheer existence, It's just being. And the contrast to that would be not being. John uses this word to say that Jesus exists in and of himself. There was no cause. He wasn't given life from anybody. He just simply possesses it. He is self existent. He transcends everything. And then if that is true, then he alone is the one who can give or share life with anything else. That's why he can speak life into being because he has it. If he doesn't have it, he can't do it. Once again, if we're struggling to find things to worship God for, man, that's a good start. Right? And the idea that somehow God is obligated to us or answers to us or ought to meet us on our terms, like, isn't that insane? Here's what Jesus said about himself. You could say it with me I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, no one comes to the Father, but through me. That's what he said. And the only reason he could say that is because life was in him and nowhere else except where he chose to put it. As the sole proprietor of life, he alone is able to grant eternal and abundant life to whom he gives physical life. That's the deal. He said that's why he came from heaven, to give eternal and abundant life. So what John is actually claiming here, and here's the word for this first statement, he's claiming that Jesus, the word, the life the word there is exclusivity, and typically that word gets kind of a bad rap. It's, it's seen negatively as if Jesus is somehow crowding people out from him. But think about it this way. If you were to know that Jesus alone, beyond anyone or anything else, anywhere else, has life, and he wants to give that to you, does that sound exclusive in the sense of keeping you out. No, that's good news. That's the gospel. I, I remember the first verse that I learned after becoming a Christian, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is where? In his son. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son has not the life. That's exclusive. That means there isn't another way, just like Jesus said. But there is a way. And that's the invitation. You can have life in him because life is in him. Man, that's good news. All right, let's keep moving. Next, we learn from John that the life Jesus possesses and animates outside of himself serves humanity in a unique way. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life, the life that was in him, was the light of men. By the way, light is another significant theme in John's gospel. It shows up 23 times And we'll start with this. Life and light are not natural possessions of anyone, right? We have to be given both, life and light. Now, if we think about light just physically first, then we'll kind of understand what it represents next. So technically, light is defined as electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation. I'm not a science guy. So I had to think about that a little bit. Um, what's, what's really interesting is light is visible, right? It's detectable to the human eye. But the part of light that is actually detectable is just, it's like a sliver. There is so much more to light than your eye could ever imagine. It gets measured in so many ways that are completely undetectable, except with some kinds of uh you know machines or other tools. so it's this enormous thing which serves as a great representation for who God is, like when Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." He, what we can detect of him just you know, with our own faculties is such a sliver. There's so much more to him than meets the eye. The context for the creation of light, if you'll think about this from Genesis 1, is this. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The, the idea there is a wasteland, a lifeless wasteland before there was light now God somehow brought that into being but it was just dark that's just all it was before he created light but when he did speak into that darkness and created physical light he also instituted the foundation for life the word I have for light here, no surprise, is illumination. And again, we get that physically, but we also need to get it metaphorically that we gain spiritual insight. As a result of the light, the knowledge, the information that we're given by God, it helps us to understand things we wouldn't understand any other way. So generally speaking, with the idea of illumination in mind, light in any form reveals. Okay? Can we agree on that? Where there's light, things are revealed. We talk about bringing things to light, right? We mean we're bringing something into a place of viewing it so that we understand it, we grasp it, we see it for what it is. Now, it strikes me there's a couple of aspects of this. One is enhancement. You could think artistically. If you stood in a completely dark room and you looked at a painting, wouldn't be much to see, right? But then you flip on the lights and all of a sudden you can take it in. You can see the colors and the shading and the texture. Like you can get all of that with the light. So it enhances things. It also exposes things. Like there's some things we'd rather not see. But light shines into the darkness and exposes things. Now, I think... The normal human response is to recoil at that. If I don't want light, I don't want light. But light is a gift because you and I can't change what we don't see. So light enhances things, it exposes things, and then it provides guidance. Beautiful words in the Psalms. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows me where to go and what's in the way and how to get where you want me to go. That's what light does. So by the way, let me just mention this. My sweet wife introduced me to this book. Mark Buchanan wrote a book um, a few years ago called Spiritual Rhythms and there's a whole chapter in there called Walking in the Light. It is fantastic. Lots of great thoughts about helping us Work well with the light. But here's the question. How open are you to light flooding your life? I don't mean just a little sliver of light. I mean opening the doors wide open and saying, Lord, pour it on. Bring it in. That feels very vulnerable. But you and I will change only to the degree of light we allow in. How do we get the light? Through God's word, through the Spirit's prompting, and maybe the hardest of all, through personal feedback. Have you asked the people around you that know you what they see? It's funny, we often have more light in the lives of others than we do our own. Often we sit in the dark uh, I heard a great illustration um, just this morning, uh, Alistair Begg, I think, gave it. Have you ever been in a room and you're reading and uh, it's getting toward the end of the day and you're reading, you're reading, and then maybe your spouse or friend or son or daughter come in, and they're like, it's so dark in here, and you kind of look up and you're like, huh, I didn't notice. I was just so enthralled with my book that I didn't see that It was dark. Is that not a beautiful illustration of life? Don't we need God's word and God's spirit and God's people to come along and come into our space and say, man, it's dark in here. And we would often go, wow, I I didn't notice. I was too enthralled with whatever. Thank you. And then you go flip a light on. Then you can see. then you can change. Back to Advent, Christmas, uh, Isaiah. So listen to this. We're talking about light invading the darkness. Here's what Isaiah wrote in chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. What did they do with the light? That's the question. Now, the next phrase in John's Christmas story tells us more about the light. The light shines in the darkness. Notice the change from past tense to present tense. Remember he said in the beginning was the word, He was with God. He was God. There's a lot of past tense language there. And then right here he says the light shines present tense in the darkness. Why does he do that? Commentators will say that the idea is that there was a point in time when light entered the darkness. We know that from Genesis, but we also know that from when Jesus entered the darkness. So the light came. And it began shining, but it hasn't stopped. It's still shining even today. That's the point John's making. One commentator says this, the light keeps on giving light. What a gift. Nevertheless, there is opposition. That's the word there. By introducing the concept of darkness here, John is saying the light came, it is a result of the life that is in Christ, but it entered into a context of darkness to varying degrees. What's interesting here is darkness, and this is in contrast to Genesis where it was just a physical reality, this is personal, it's like personification. Opposition to light. Darkness is the world of evil and unbelief, death and judgment. That's what darkness is here. That was where the light entered in. John will say in chapter 3, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil, darkness was flooding in and they scattered to hide. With that opposition, that conflict in mind, and these aren't two equal and opposing forces. As we'll see at the end, darkness is always subject to light. But in the midst of that, as light comes in, it will draw some and repel others. That will always be the case. Isaiah's warning in chapter 5 verse 20 is, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I don't think there could be a better word of warning for our culture today than that. I really wrestled with what to say and what not to say and how to say it and all that kind of stuff just this week as I was thinking about this passage and the idea of light coming into the darkness or perhaps us as a culture sitting in darkness and no one saying, it's dark in here, but It is. Pick your topic, marriage, parenting, sexuality, money, work, entertainment, education. I could go on all day long. It's dark. We call evil good. And we got to stop that. As believers, we don't need to rail against the culture. The culture is what it is. The world is dark and it always will be until it's made new. But certainly with each other, good gosh, let's speak the truth. Let's let the word define what is good and right and true instead of our own emotions our own circumstances, our own preferences. Let's cut that out. God's light is so good, and it does lead us to life. But it won't be easy to get there. But there is so much peace, like all these things we're celebrating in Advent. There's so much peace and joy and hope in a place of truth. And the light will lead us to the truth every time. We need the truth to wait well. And we said that's that's really what Advent's all about, isn't it? Right? We're waiting. We're waiting for a day where there is no darkness. As Revelation says, where God himself is our light. Man, I can't wait for that day. But until then, we got to wait well. And in order to wait well, we have to believe this last phrase in John's declaration. The light shines in the darkness. There is opposition And the darkness has not overcome it. The light, Jesus, is invincible. There is no way. And and this is so beautifully illustrated physically speaking. Darkness can't cover light. It can only get out of the way. Darkness has not, does not, and will not overcome the light. A couple of beautiful passages maybe to reflect on in the days ahead. First John 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Not a bit of it. Psalm 36.9, for with you, the psalmist says to God, is the fountain of life In your light do we see light. I, As I thought about today, maybe kind of a so what in mind, I thought, man, we are anxious, we are insecure, we are fearful. And I think it has something to do with our nagging question. There's like a doubt in there somewhere about the invincibility of the light of our Savior. There's just something in this because is he really going to win in the end? Is he really going to make all things new? I don't have an answer for you, but man, this sure does. Like it doesn't matter what I think or what you think. It's either true or it's not. And he says that he wins. And he proved it when he rose from the dead. Let that flood into that dark place of doubt and anxiety and fear and insecurity. Let me read Paul's words I think Jeff already read these, but I'm going to read them again. And as a so what, let's think about this. What light right now, today, the light shines in the darkness right now. What light are you able to see today that you need to act upon right now? Not all the light, not everything, just one thing. What's one bit of light that you need to act upon today? Listen to these words and this will be our so what. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this is light, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the living word, the one in whom life dwells and the one who can give us all the light that we need to walk well until he returns. That one. He's invincible. And because of that, spiritually speaking, so are you. Ask the Lord to show you how to respond to that light today.
1: Jesus, we come to you this morning, and although we are born with dark hearts and minds, our natural bent, and we're born into a world that's natural bent is darkness and evil, and everything that you say is good, our minds and hearts and world says it's not good. We are in opposition to you, but we stand this morning, or we sit this morning, or we ponder this morning, your great love for us, as we said all along this morning, in spite of us. That you came as the light, you brought light to our mind and hearts, you brought light to those uh, that you use us to influence in the world, We are light takers and light sharers because the light dwells in us. We're so grateful for the light of your word that we would not know what to do, where to go, how to do it, next right steps. There'd be none of that, just left up to our own minds and hearts. And we've done that before and it's miserable. So we're so grateful for you as the light. So grateful for your word that gives us light to our lives and tells us what to do and how to do it and where to go and then thirdly lord we're grateful for you people people who can speak into our lives great encouragement and great truth and how you use all of that we love you grateful this morning and everyone said